professional or amateur, major league or little league, baseball action abounds. There's so much for us to follow as fans. My question is, what are you watching? Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. We are coming to the close of the month of June. And so many things are happening in and around baseball in so many places. And by places, I mean so many different cities and towns, but also places as it regards so many different levels of baseball. Now, in the last several weeks, and for at least another week or two, a majority of my evenings are spent at Little League baseball fields, watching Little League baseball games. I don't have as much time as I would like right now to view baseball on the TV or on the computer. But there is a lot going on. I mentioned Little League Baseball. We have the College World Series, which is going to wrap up tonight. Minor League Baseball, Major League Baseball, uh, all sorts of things to watch. But what are you watching? Where where is your attention? Now, I'm going to bring up some things today that you are likely familiar with. You have been watching these things. I'll bring up others that maybe have not been on your radar. And then I might not bring up some things that you think ought to be on my radar. And if so, let me know. But I want to start with this. This happened early last week. It actually happened on Tuesday in Texas in a game between the White Sox and the Rangers. Now, the video would add some to what I'm about to play, but the audio, I think, is very clear on what happened in that game last Tuesday night in Texas. It was not an issue. There was no contact there. He was not blocked from sliding directly into home plate. Jonah Heim was behind the plate. The lane was there. That is a terrible, terrible call. Back in New York and watching that replay now, Boach is going to get ejected. It's almost an automatic if you're going to argue something that is done via replay and a call that is made via replay. And you're in a really tough spot if you're DJ Rayburn because he called it correctly, which was out. Right. He has nothing to say. He called it right the first time. And you cannot argue replay. It is an automatic ejection. The key here is that Jonah Heim stays in the ball game. He can't he can't allow himself to get thrown out. So to understand exactly what you were saying and how this rule is read, the catcher is not permitted to block the runner's path to the plate unless he is in possession of the ball. That's right. But he wasn't blocking it anyway. But well, he had the ball. Look, he had the ball five feet before that is a travesty and an absolute embarrassment that that is going to get reversed in a one run game. The purpose of this is to make sure that he has a lane. Clear as day, he can get to the plate. Nobody is blocking Elvis Andrews from getting to home plate. I don't know. I just, I can't get my brain. That is so stupid. Around this call. They got it right on the field. And then it was absolutely bungled in New York. So you could hear the Rangers broadcasters describing what had happened. There was a play at the plate. The home plate umpire called the base runner out. 
Then there was an appeal, so then it went to the replay officials in New York. They reversed the call, and therefore the base runner was safe. This was in the eighth inning, and it gave the White Sox a 7-6 lead. And then they went on to win that game. As you heard the broadcasters, they considered it one of the worst calls ever. They said it was a travesty, an absolute embarrassment. After the game, Bruce Bochy, the manager for the Rangers, said that it was one of the worst calls he has ever seen. Now keep in mind, he has been in this game for decades, in this game at the major league level for decades, both as a player, and by the way, a former catcher, and as a manager. And so this got a lot of people up in arms, and I think rightfully so. Not just Ranger fans, but but all fans. Now the next night, something very similar happened. I don't think as egregious as this play between the Rangers and the White Sox, but there was a play at the plate in a game between the Padres and the Giants. Again, the call on the field was out. Appeal, go to New York, replay officials, reverse the call, and call the runner safe. Again, not as egregious as the White Sox Rangers, but still, a lot of people were upset about it. And some people have said something that I think has to be taken seriously. And I want to say that I do not believe these people are making any accusations against anybody, and I am definitely not, but they are bringing up something that I think we would be foolish to say, ah, no, 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 that's not going to ever be an issue. And they brought up gambling. Major League Baseball is not only acknowledging that gambling is now legal throughout the United States, they are endorsing gambling, encouraging gambling, running ads for gambling. And I think we would be very naive to think that there will not come a time, if it hasn't come on all, come already, and again, no accusations against anybody overturning these calls, but we would be naive to consider the fact that with gambling the way it is and Major League Baseball pushing this gambling, that there will not come a time in which a call will be made or a reversal will be declared because it impacts a game that impacts a bet, a bet on that game. We've already seen it in college baseball. We've already seen coaches who have been dismissed from their positions because at least it has appeared that they were gambling on the games that they were involved with. Now, of course, Major League Baseball doesn't want anybody in uniform, an umpire uniform or a player or coach or manager uniform betting, but they're promoting it. They're encouraging all of us, really, if we're not in the game, all of us to gamble. I believe that is wrong just in principle, but I also believe that it will inevitably, if things don't change, inevitably have an impact on why decisions are made in the game of baseball. So maybe you follow that, those plays at the plate, or even this idea that we've got to be careful. Gambling is going to, if it hasn't already, have a significant impact on what takes place on the field. But if you've not watched that, I hope that you are paying attention, that you are watching closely this young man. Scoring opportunities. De La Cruz, right center. Rookie in two weeks of the big leagues. Pull- 
Ellie De La Cruz. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. He's only been in the big leagues for a couple of weeks. That was Friday night. He hit a double in the second inning, a home run in the third inning, a single in the fifth inning, and there you heard the triple in the sixth inning. This guy is fun to watch. This guy has oodles of talent, and he plays the game with enthusiasm, and at least what I have seen, he plays the game with intensity. He runs hard, and man, can he run. Now, you heard in that clip, it was the first cycle by a Cincinnati Reds player since 1989. The man who did it then was a very good, I think, underrated player, Eric Davis. Eric Davis, who back in 1989, back when he played for the Cincinnati Reds, wore number 44. Ellie De La Cruz wears number 44. Now, it was Ellie De La Cruz's 15th game as a major leaguer which means it was the third fewest games since 1901 for a player to hit for the cycle. Cliff Heathcote did it in 1918 in his sixth Major League game. None of us remember that, but some of us may remember this name, Gary Ward. He did it, hit for the cycle that is, in his 14th game in 1980. Now, that game where Dela Cruz hit for the cycle was Friday night. And in that game, the Cincinnati Reds won their 12th consecutive ball game, beating the Atlanta Braves. And they were down in that game 5 to nothing after the top of the first. They came back to win 11 to 10. That 12 game winning streak is the longest for the Reds since 1957. The manager of the Reds this year and over the last few years, David Bell, in 1957, his grandfather, Gus Bell was a member of the Cincinnati Reds. Now, after Friday, they lost the next two games, Saturday and Sunday, to the Braves. And so, as we speak on Monday morning, Cincinnati is still in first, but they have only a half-game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers in the NL Central. A lot of people, including Reds fans, I heard from one, don't know that they can sustain this kind of play because their starting pitching is really struggling. Last I saw, I think they were 28th out of the 30 teams in ERA. But regardless of whether it can be maintained or not, there is a lot of excitement among the city of Cincinnati and Red fans. And and it's it's exciting because this is a storied franchise. And, And Cincinnati is a great baseball city. Now, early in the year, there were, I would say many times, I didn't check that closely, but definitely a number of times, in which the Reds played at home at Great America Ballpark and had 10,000 fans or less. The three games over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, against the Atlanta Braves, their total attendance for those three games, 126,724. So they averaged 42,000 plus per game. And that is the most they've ever had at Great American Ballpark for a three-game regular season series. But going back to L.A. De La Cruz, he has a boatload of talent. He has skill. Excuse me. And what I've been told is he is a good teammate. And I think that is vitally important. A lot of people think that's vitally important. But a lot less people think that than used to think that. Sadly, we live in a day in which that is not upheld as being something that really matters that much. Thankfully... Another story that came out this past week indicates that there is, for sure, one franchise 
and one manager and his coaching staff that think it is. News came out about mid midweek last week that Wander Franco of the Rays was going to be benched for two games. And he was being benched. It wasn't given, the details weren't given, but fundamentally because he wasn't being the kind of teammate that the Tampa Bay Rays expect, that Kevin Cash, the manager, expects. And I think they handled this well. First of all, by benching not only one of their best players, or I guess you'd have to argue their best player, and one of the most exciting young players in baseball, but doing so in a way that was right or, or handled well. So Kevin Cash says this, or said this, Wander is a really good kid, really good person. He's a young player that is learning and dealing with the challenges of being a major league player and some of the frustrations that come with it. Over the course of this season, there's been probably multiple times that the way he has handled his frustrations have not been the way that we ask our players to uphold being the best teammate. So their actions were wonderful. The words of Kevin Cash right there. He's saying, Wander's a really good kid. He's a good person. He's just been messing up. And we don't want him to mess up. We want him to uphold what we uphold as an organization. Being a good teammate, or as Kevin Cash said, the best teammate is very, very important. Now, Cash was asked to get a little bit more particular about it. He said, I'm just going to leave it at that. But then he reiterated again, all of the Rays organization, he, his staff, are going to support Wander Franco. But here's the thing. They're backing that up because they are supporting him for benching him for those two games. They're saying, this is not acceptable, Wander. And we know that you are a special talent. We know that you are very vital to our team. But we also know this. There's a right way and a wrong way to play the game. A right way and a wrong way to be a part of a team. A right way and a wrong way to be a teammate. I was very encouraged by that. And hopefully, the goal of the Rays, the goal of Kevin Cash, will be met. In other words, Wander Franco will continue to be an exciting, dynamic player, but will continue to increase in being the best teammate. Now again, it's early, but I hope you're following Luis Arise. He went one for four yesterday against the Pirates, and he now sits at 399, and we're a little bit over 70 games. Again, 400 is a remarkable number, hasn't been done for decades. I don't think he can get there, not because he's not a great hitter. He is. It's just, man, that's hard. But we should still be watching it and enjoying it and being glad that we have Luis Arise doing what he is doing. Now, maybe you stayed up late last night or later to watch the game between Houston and the Dodgers. If you did, you saw something very special. If you didn't, maybe you missed it. In that game, Freddie Freeman collected his 2,000th career hit. Now, even though he got that, the Astros beat the Dodgers 6-5 in 11. Now, maybe at this time of the year, if you're a big baseball fan, you're paying more attention to the College World Series. And if so, you're very excited about tonight. Because tonight, we will find out who the 2023 NCAA Division I College World Series championship team is. It's Florida and LSU. LSU won game one of the best of three, four to three in 11 innings on Friday, or I'm sorry, Saturday. Yesterday, and when I saw this, it about blew me out of the water, Florida beat LSU 24 to four. 
Now, there were some people, or there are some people, that I'm guessing will say, well, that's payback. Payback for a press conference that took place last week after LSU beat Wake Forest. And the head coach of LSU's baseball team, Jay Johnson, said something during the press conference that upset many people. Uh, It's one of the greatest moments of my life, honestly. Um, Number one. Number two. Um, couldn't be proud of, more proud of our team. I think that uh, exemplifies the talent on this roster, uh, but more importantly, the character and the people. And as I look to my left, I just see three great players that are better people than they are players. Um, the best-pitched college baseball game I've ever seen from both sides. Um, obviously, what Paul did was spectacular. Uh, what Thatcher did was spectacular. Um you know, you might see four pitchers that were on that mound tonight um, from both teams that will pitch in Major League Baseball All-Star Games. And um, hat tip to Coach Walter and Wake Forest. I mean, we just slayed a giant tonight, um, and that was special. And lastly, like, look to my left. If you're one of the best players in the transfer portal, there's only one place to come play because uh, last summer I spent a lot of time with these young men, and I think they would tell you they made the right choice. So. Um, I'd want to join forces with them if if they're out there. Now, Jay Johnson said a number of very good things. The first thing that caught my attention was talking about multiple pitchers will pitch in Major League Baseball All-Star games. I'm sorry. And he he started by saying might, but then he said it very strongly. They will pitch. Well, first of all, that's a lot to suggest they will pitch in Major League Baseball to start. They will pitch in a single All-Star game, secondly, but multiple All-Star games. But that's not what upset me, and that's not what upset a lot of other people. It's what he said that he started with lastly. And basically telling college baseball players all over the country that if they're in the transfer portal, they ought to come to LSU. And that upset a lot of people, and I think rightfully so. Again, I think Jay Johnson got caught up in the moment, I've not seen anything where he's backtracked or apologized, but I think that was very bad, very brutal. And this whole thing with the transfer portal and college sports, the name, image, and likeness, NIL, all of it is feeding a monster. A monster that fundamentally, if I'm a college baseball player, it's not fundamentally about me helping my team or the school that I committed to. It's about me, myself, and I. If I don't like it here... If the coach doesn't treat me fairly according to my standards, if somebody else has got more to offer, I'm out of here. And I think that this is being taught to our young men at all levels. That fundamentally, it's not about commitment to those people or those things outside of you, but it's a commitment to whatever's best for you. And we see this everywhere. I saw a video, again from last week, of a AAA baseball game. The batter hit a grand slam, and it was an obvious no-doubter. Before he left the batter's box, after hitting a grand slam, he did a bat slam. So not a bat flip, but a bat slam. This, again, is not only ridiculous, it is conveying a message. A message to people in the game of baseball at all levels and all ages, and the message isn't a good one. As I mentioned, I've been watching a lot of Little League Baseball, especially over the last several weeks. And I've seen a number of things that cause me concern. Things that are expected or not expected. 
things that are done or not done that I think not only are not good for the game of baseball, but far more importantly than that, not good for the development of young boys or those who are about to become young men. But thankfully, I have not had to watch in person what I saw on the internet last week. A player who had to be 12 or under because it was the smaller field. A player hit a no-doubt home run. This again now is a player 12 or under. He walked halfway to first base, and then he threw his bat at least 15 feet, maybe 20 feet into the air. This is going on everywhere, from 12-year-olds to AAA players to Major League players. And we need more coaches, more managers, more organizations, and again, it may not be a Major League organization, but to handle these things like the Rays handled the situation with Ronder Franco. Now, all of these things and plenty others I haven't mentioned have resulted in quote-unquote internet wars among those who expect respect, expect that it's about the team more than it's about self. And these can be fun to follow and sometimes they can be frustrating, but I don't think anything has been as frustrating to me as what I've seen in the last week or two, where there are people that because they happen to be good in math are telling Rod Carew what a good hitter does, and how a man becomes a good hitter. Rod Carew, not only one of the best hitters and and, and handlers of the bat in Major League Baseball history, but from my knowledge and everything I've ever seen, and, and he was playing in a superstar when I was growing up, if you will, a class human being. And these people, these guys, again, that can add and subtract and multiply and divide and read computer printouts and all of that, are being completely disrespectful to Rod Carew. Now, some people might say, ah, whatever. Don't worry about that. We have bigger fish to fry. Well, I would disagree. I think that's a really big fish. But let me give you your point for a moment. It's okay if you say we have bigger fish to fry, but do not say we have bacon to fry. I don't know if you saw this story. It is not a story in the Babylon Bee. And therefore, I think it's actually legitimate. You wouldn't think so, but it, it was a story, I think it might have been in Fox, I don't know, it was some internet news source, it wasn't the Babylon Bee, that came out last week. Here's the headline. Macon Bacon, collegiate summer league baseball team, faces call to change name over, quote, glorification of bacon, unquote. Dead serious. So this is a collegiate baseball team that plays in the Coastal Plain League. They play in Macon, Georgia. Their nickname is the Macon Bacon. Great nickname, right? I had actually one of my sons played in that league and played at that ballpark and against that team a few years back. But supposedly, and again, this was news, not on the Babylon Bee, there were or there are a group of physicians in Georgia that are putting up a billboard to target the Macon Bacon and want them to change their name. And apparently they wrote a letter to the president of the team of the Macon Bacon. And they're putting up this billboard on an interstate in Georgia that encourages fans to, quote, keep bacon off your plate. And they wrote this, I think part of their letter to the president of the Macon Bacon. And and, and in writing this letter, they were accusing him of glorifying bacon. And they said, Macon Bacon's glorification of bacon a processed meat that raises the risk of 
colorectal cancer, and other diseases, sends the wrong message to fans. I urge you to update the team's name to Macon Facon Bacon and promote plant-based bacon alternatives, such as Facon Bacon or Mushroom Bacon. That will help your fans stay healthy. As for the Macon Bacon mascot, which apparently his name is Kevin, he can reveal that he is actually plant-based bacon. Again, help me out here. This is not the Babylon Bee. I, I think they're serious. And then I would have to say, are you serious? Are you kidding me with this? With all that's going on in our world and in the game of baseball that are destroying lives, that are sending people to hell, we're worried about bacon? But the reality is that's the baseball world we're living in. It's the world we're living in. And so I ask again, but with a twist, what are you watching when you're watching baseball? I talked about the fact of so many things are being lost that were once expectations in the game of baseball and in our culture. And I came across this video from 1985. The Reds were in spring training. Johnny Bench had already retired. Pete Rose was still playing. And in spring training of 1985, Pete Rose was approaching Ty Cobb's record for most hits in a major league career. Pete Rose broke that record later that year, September 11th of 1985, in Cincinnati against the Padres and Eric Shaw. And then Pete Rose went on to end up with 4,256 hits. That is one of those records that will never be broken. But listen to this conversation in spring training as Rose approaches that record. I mean, let's face it, on the bat here, it's just 4192. Yep, uh, well, it's, it's right around the corner, and... Uh... Of course, that's the all-time hit, uh, hit total, what we're talking about. I'm really not concerned with it, John, because, uh, you know, we learn together uh, what the team does is really the important thing, and, and personal achievements are just something that happens along the line because the game's played at bats and, uh, and base hits or home runs or RBIs or whatever. Yeah, but you're going to, you're, let's face it, I mean, I've said it, that you're going to be the only person to ever have a chance to break that record. Well, uh, you, really, you, have, you have a lot to do with that. Uh, the reason I'm in that position to do this is uh, because of the teammates that I've been fortunate enough to play with over the course of 22 years. Uh, I've been given a lot of opportunity to hit because of offensive players like yourself and Morgan and Perez and Schmidt and Reigns and Carter and people like that. And uh, I've always thought a player is really is only as good as his teammates. And uh, I was fortunate enough to play with, uh, with many, many Hall of Fame ball, ball players. It's always made my job a lot easier. Listen to that. Pete Rose is not known as the most model, modest or humble person. And yet, listen to what he said. And how he said that Johnny Bench and he were brought up to believe that the team was more important than the individual. And also, Pete Rose acknowledging that he would indeed go on to set the record, a record that will never be broken, but that a lot of the credit goes to Johnny Bench and his other teammates. And he listed a number of them. So I ask you again, what are you watching? If you are watching baseball and only see hits and outs and strikeouts and home runs, and you're missing what is going on in and around the game, well beyond the game, you're not watching closely enough. Whether we're talking about the push to gamble, whether we're talking about the mindset of basically selling out to the highest bidder, and don't miss the fact that those two can be intimately connected, whether we're talking about ridiculous narratives, about not being a good teammate, about not caring about anything but me, 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 I, I, I. 
You need to understand that these are these things are happening at all levels of the game. It's a direction the game is going in. And we're either going to go in a good direction or a bad direction. We're either going to be about hard work and discipline and being accountable for our actions, or we're going to have a let-the-kids-play mindset. We're either going to stress and teach and demand respect or disrespect. We are, again, some consciously, some not, either going to encourage obeying the fifth commandment or rebelling against the fifth commandment. We're pushing either good or evil, Christ or chaos. Now, as I mentioned, this is the final episode of In the Bullpen for the month of June. And, of course, we get, in the month of June, all sorts of talk about pride. And we get all sorts of manifestations of pride. And we saw last week that a group of people who are proud of their evil and abominable sin were chanting, we're coming for your children. Actually, the whole chant was, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Now, as it regards this group and that statement, it ought to be plain as day if you're paying attention at all, if you're watching well. But here's the other thing. If you are paying attention and watching baseball, from the major leagues to the little leagues, and you're doing so with discernment, you realize something. That there are many coming for our children, our sons in particular. And this is the case from the highest to the lowest level of America's pastime. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.